Modern life. Between careers, kids, and health, it can be mayhem. That's why we're here. I'm Dr. Lisa Varghese-Kroll. And I'm Dr. Lonre Falusi. We're physicians, moms, and longtime friends who break it all down for you. Wondering how to juggle all the balls and still stay sane? Looking for advice but don't want to be overwhelmed? Curious about how to make the most out of life for your family but enjoy it at the same time? You're in the right place. Welcome to Health and Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. In this episode, we're continuing our series on mothers in politics. Today, we have part one of our interview with Arkansas City Councilwoman Gayatri Agnew about her journey to politics, how her children were changed by the experience, and why she thinks you should join her. Hey, Lon. Hey, Lise. We've got a good conversation today. Yeah, yeah, we sure do. We started our ongoing series, Mothers in Politics, because we wanted to show that running for office is achievable and critical. And we've said it before, but this issue is so important to us as physicians because so much legislation affects public health. And not just during a pandemic, you know, that we know. We've seen this in the past year and a half now with COVID, but also in terms of laws surrounding things like parental leave, health insurance coverage, pre-existing conditions, access to rehab and other specialty services, and early intervention programs for children. That's absolutely right. Now, we've interviewed Representative Kim Schreier at the national level in Episode 24, and Senator Michelle Au at the state level in Episode 22. But the reality is that the local level is not only where the most tangible legislative change can be made, but also where most people entering politics will start. So for those reasons, we're devoting two episodes to a discussion with someone who threw her hat into the local Mm -hmm. ring and won, in the hope that her story will inspire one or more of you listening right now. As a former Clinton fellow with the American India Foundation, with a corporate background as a senior director of giving at Walmart, and as a current presidential leadership scholar and national board member of the Vote Mama Foundation and Path Forward, She was elected to the Bentonville, Arkansas City Council in December 2020. We're happy to welcome City Councilwoman Gayatri Agnew. All right. So, Councilwoman Agnew, we are thrilled to have you here today with us to kind of talk about your journey because everybody's is different. And so we really, you know, we really want to start at the beginning. Tell us, how is it that you first got interested in politics, in the crazy world of politics? (laughs) So it's interesting. I I can't tell you how I first got interested in politics, but I can tell you how I first got interested in doing everything I could to help the people around me. Um, Because I I think it's the same thing. I think Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. I hope it's the same thing. Um, And I think, you know, over time, especially more recently, politics sometimes means something else. Um, I serve as an elected official so I can do everything I can to help the people in my community, um, to have an influence in shaping the community that I'm raising my family in. Um, And I, I got the idea to do that. I got the energy or motivation to do that from my mom. Um, she just, my mom, you know, she, she was a lifelong kindergarten teacher. She was always doing everything she could to help other people. And so she didn't tell me to be a helper. She showed me how to be a helper. Um, 
and and I guess I just my my service on the Bentonville City Council is me following in her footsteps and in her lessons, despite the fact that she never served in formal office. And it, probably <laughs> if I had ever suggested that to her, she'd be like that. Those aren't the skills I taught you, but but they are right. Yeah. Um, how to help the people around you in whatever way you can. That's so amazing. For, first, kind of backing up, as a lifelong kindergarten teacher, I'm very impressed with your mom. We <laughs> had a child who just went through kindergarten. So she had a <laughs> classroom full of such children. I'm <laughs> so she must have taught you also patience. And she know. certainly tried. I mean, I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. So I have a kindergarten and a first grader right now and say on a daily, like, mother, how did you do that? Um, mm. So yes, my mom is a superhero. That is a firmly a established as are all <laughs> kindergarten teachers absolutely. that is a firmly established fact absolutely absolutely I also love the point that you made that really what you're interested in is helping the people around you and yes. that is what we want to think about what politics is and why people go into the field and what policies are supposed to do so I just yeah I want to say I love that point that you made and in getting to where you are now you worked with the organization vote run lead we had, I did. Um, yeah, yeah. We had the pleasure you know, of of um, interviewing um, them recently. So tell us how Vote Run Lead helped you and, and how they supported you during your campaign. Sure. So to, to tell you that, I have to go all the way back to what, how, like the formation of Vote Run Lead and the the spirit behind Vote Run Lead is to break down the idea that women don't belong in politics, to completely shatter that myth. And I was first exposed to Vote Run Lead a long time ago. I remember like early days of some of their programming. And um, I think it was called the White House Project at the time. And it was just mm-hmm. it was this idea that like, why is it that somehow over time in American history, you know, maybe it's the 47 presidents that have been men, like there's a message we're getting sent that this is not a room or a space or a place where women belong. Um, and so I had a lot of exposure to the to the mission of Vote Run Lead before I actually sat in a classroom as a trainee of Vote Run Lead. Um, but when I did go through their training, which, um, you know, time now is fluid, but like, I think it was 2008, 9, 18. Anyway, sorry. It was, it was a while ago, <laughs> a couple years ago. Um, they have this phrase, um, which is to run as you are. Mm-hmm. And... Um, throughout the course of my two campaigns, because I actually ran in 2018, and then I ran again in 2020. I lost in 2018. I won in 2020. So it's a, it, it's a good story in the end, although I learned a ton from losing. Um, but this idea to run as who you are is kind of the opposite message that most women get when approaching mm. the political process. Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was, it's, the, it's the mantra I kept in my head, not what should I do, but who am I? So mm. like through, mm. through the process of like, do you think this is right or this is right? Do you want to wear this or that? Do you want like, like mm-hmm. so many micro decisions that you mm-hmm. face as a candidate mm-hmm. and then now as an elected official and instead of saying, what should a city councilwoman do, I ask myself, well, what do I want to do so that I'm able to bring who I am as I am to the work that I do um, in city government? Wow, I love that because that is a sea change from, I think, what we're all uh, overtly and not so overtly taught. Um, and it really is pretty confidence building to learn that what you have and sort of your guiding light may already be within our skill set. 
So that's a fantastic message. Um, and, you know, talking about that experience, particularly because you mentioned that you've run twice, what was the hardest part about running? Because I think those of us, you know, that haven't had this experience, it really seems pretty daunting. So what was the hardest part? And conversely, what was the best part? <laughs> I think that the hardest part um, is no, no one no one runs for office who doesn't genuinely care. It's, it's just too hard. Mm-hmm. There's, if you mm-hmm. just want to sort of see your face on a billboard or whatever, there's a lot of other careers to pursue. <laughs> like pol- politics is not the right way to do that. Um, and so no one runs who doesn't genuinely care. And there are only 24 hours in a day. Right. And so I think the hardest part is that you run because you care. And because you care, you want to do your best. And then you've got kids to pick up and a job to do and a spouse, you know, to navigate all of that with, or in some cases not. Um, and, and like, there's only 24 hours in a day and mm-hmm. your campaign can't have all of those hours. And so, mm-hmm. so just that, um, navigating that sense of caring deeply about something and giving as much to it that you can, but respecting and recognizing the human limits we all have and that mm-hmm. that is still you doing your best. Doing your best doesn't look like I didn't see my kids for the six months that I ran. Doing your best looks like you ran while you did what you needed to do with your kids. Right. right? And that, like mm-hmm. that. So that's just hard. It's just hard. Yeah. Um, I think. Um, and, and, you know, um, yeah, it's just hard. Um, what was the best part? Um, so actually the best part relates back to my kids, um, which is, you know, I mentioned my mom taught me a lot of lessons through what she did, not what she said. And at first I was really nervous about running for office and having tiny children. When I ran the first time, um, they were two and four and, um, two and four year old kids are really unpredictable. (laughs) And so like, on the one hand, there are some cute photo ops that we have. I'm just glad no one mic'd us while we were out doorbelling (laughs) together. Like it just, you just don't know what you're going to get. Right. right. Um, And, and you don't know how they're experiencing it. Right. I didn't think doorbelling would be as fun as going to the park and it's not, but lessons were sinking in. And Mm -hmm. after my first campaign, my kids started to play this game called campaign and they would take pieces of paper and they would tape them to all of the doors in our house. And they would like <laughs> knock on the doors or like slide them under the doors. Like when we, we brought cute. literature to the front doors of homes in our community. Um, and so watching the way that my children have internalized what it means to show up for their community as a direct result of their exposure to seeing me on the campaign trail is one of the best parts. In terms of the best part, one other thing I will share is a story from when I was campaigning in 2018. Um, my name is Gayatri. I'm, I'm Indian American. I'm, I'm biracial. My mom's white and my dad is Indian. And there is a growing Indian population here in Bentonville, Arkansas, which a lot of people don't realize. And I was out and I was doorbelling a neighborhood in South Bentonville um, and went into a driveway and there was a young Indian girl who was playing there. And I asked her if her mom or dad were home and we started talking and her grandpa came out and um, and I handed her my, my literature for my campaign. And she looked at it and she looked up at me and she said, my name is Gayatri. No way. And yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I said, oh, you know, like that, that you know, we, we started talking a little bit about, about our name. And she was probably like six or seven maybe. 
you know, young. And she said, she actually asked me, she was like, do people ever mispronounce your name? And I was like, mm. all the time. Let me tell you the stories. And we kind of talked about sister. that. Yeah. And then, um, and then she just asked me, she says, well, so you're running for president. I mean, that's fine. You know, state rep, president, whatever <laughs> works. And I tried to explain, well, not quite, but I, you know, I am running for office. And without skipping a beat, she looked at me and she was like, so I can run for office. Like oh it, like it wasn't, I just relay that story because I think that, um, it's just easy to feel like it's more complicated than that, right? To yeah. unlock mm. this sense of potential or sense of opportunity in someone. But for this young woman, it was just as simple as my name is Gayatri and your name is Gayatri. <laughs> and if yeah. you're running for office, then clearly I can and too. So can and, you know, I think just knowing that my presence, not because I've done anything special or different or unique, but just being a biracial Indian American woman who's serving in public office in Arkansas, um, just my presence can send a message like that to other young women of color um, is, is important to me, but it also like that actually has an impact over time in who does choose um, to run for office and who does choose to help to lead community. That is so true. I, one thing that I feel like we've said many times on here, Lise, right, is this idea of you can't be what you can't see. Exactly. Just and, what I was thinking. Yeah. And this is why representation matters. It, you know, it matters for you and, you know, what the work that you do in the community, but also for those kids who are looking for people who look like them or sound like them or, you know, eat the same foods as them, have right. the same first name as them. <laughs> um, and it that just must have been such a, like such a moment for her oh, and for you. I mean, I'm not so going to lie. Like we, we had this exchange and then we sort of like, I, I kept walking down the road and I was like, am I crying right now? I totally <laughs> am. No, because like I was trying yeah. to imagine like if I think of myself as a five-year-old or even as a 10-year-old or even as a political science student in college. And then I ask myself, yeah. what were the role models? Who was I looking mm -hmm. to? Who were the political role models that I could look to and see in our country? And I'm hard pressed to come up with people who are even people of color, let alone mm -hmm. specifically other Indian American women. And then now look who's our vice president today. So exactly. I think like that, that kind of change, and that's all within a single generation, is to your point about if you can see it, you can be it such a powerful mm -hmm. um, enabler to future change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so you, you ran this campaign and in 2020 you won. So tell us about your role as a city council member. What does that entail in terms of your responsibilities? Oh, and, yeah. And it's, all of that? it's very glamorous. People, are, you know, it's funny <laughs> because I usually explain it as think of all the stuff you do on a daily basis that you don't think twice about when you turn on your lights when you drive down the road, um, when you put your trash out on the curb, someone has thought through how you get electricity, how you get clean water, who picks up your trash and your waste, and that there is a street in front of your home. And more often than not, in most communities, that is your most local version of government. So in Arkansas, it's a municipality. It's the city who has thought through all of those things. So the role of the city council is to have oversight to all of the city services that are provided in a community. Um, so departments like our wastewater department, um, 
departments like our in, in Bentonville, we're fairly unique. We operate our own utility um, service in some, in many actually regions that's not actually operated by a municipality, but in Bentonville it is. Um, our Parks and Recreation Department um, and so on and so forth. And so all of these um all of these services that surround you as a citizen, probably many things that people should expect to have available to them are a direct result of the governance provided by the city. Um, the other thing I think, and, and one of the things that inspired me to run for city council is I think the city, you know, also plays a role of setting the direction of a community. What, mm -hmm. what do we want this place to be like? What is our shared vision for what we want people to feel when they come and they live and they settle and they raise their families here in Bentonville, Arkansas? And so, you know, Bentonville is a place that has changed tremendously. We just got our census data for 2020 and Bentonville has grown 54% as a city wow. in, in just a 10-year time period. So that kind of transformation, that kind of change... Um, requires that uh, as a council, as a leadership body for the city, we be intentional about what kind of growth we want to have in the community. So zoning, um, or otherwise known as what you, what you are allowed to do where, um, is probably the most important thing that a city does. Um, why are there are shops in one part of town and only residential houses in another part of town? Those are zoning choices. Those are intentional choices and they can be um, changed um, and often do change over time as cities or municipalities grow. So those are some of the core functions of the city. So, you know, when we talk to people who have never thought about running or, or maybe have just started dipping their toe in the thought of running, one of the challenges is the thought that how would I fit it into my life, you know, into my existing life. So knowing those responsibilities, can you talk us through a typical day in your life and how do you juggle it with family or other work responsibilities? Yeah. Because you do still have your regular day job, correct? I do. I do. Okay. It's a it's part time, very part time. So I work full time in corporate America. Um, I have a full time job. My husband is an attorney. He has a full time job. We have, as I mentioned, a five year old and a seven year old. So it's a jigsaw puzzle. Um, but I think, you know, everyone I know is is piecing their life together in that same jigsaw puzzle. You guys talk a lot about that on your show. Um, you know, I think um, we make time for the things that matter to us. Um, and what really has mattered to me in the context of the growth of the community in Bentonville is that we have a sense of intentional inclusion, um, that we have diverse and affordable housing, um, and that we create spaces where Bentonville citizens can come together and build community together. That's important to me because I think it's a value to the community, but it's also a value to my family, right? So I don't just want to take my kids to a park. I want to take my kids to a park that I know has been built to be a common community meeting place for folks from across different socioeconomic you know, backgrounds, different different. Um, life experiences, I want that for my children. So, I, you know, could somebody else serve on the council and do a perfectly lovely job? Absolutely. I've prioritized serving on the council because I want to see certain outcomes as a result of the choices that are made on city government. Um, and, and I, um, and I enjoy it. Like I, I, you know, I was joking with someone the other day, I was like, well, some people knit 
I, I, I read reports about wastewater treatments mm-hmm. and like, how, like I, and so it's, it's to call it a hobby is not fair, but it is how I've chosen to fill mm-hmm. part of the time that I have, right? We all only have the 24 hours, but I have prioritized it. And so I think, um, you don't just shove it into your day. You have to think about, is it something I want to do? Is it a way I want to spend my time just like you would with anything else? And then realistically, how much time do I have? Um, I have, um, we get paid a small stipend from the city for doing our city service. And I pay a woman to help me with citizen communication. So I do a newsletter every other week. It's very important to me that I do that citizen communication, but I don't have time and to end to write the newsletter, edit the newsletter, set the newsletter up and send it out. So I recognize that I want to be able to provide that service to citizens, but I'm constrained in the the total amount of time that I have. So, um, you know, um, I also ask for help. Like, I can't read every single report. I'm not an expert on every single topic. People tease me, like, but the skill I bring is curiosity. I'm not afraid to say, you know, I don't actually understand this aspect of our city code. Can you tell me what you understand about it and why you feel this way or that way about it? So um, I think in order to you know, there's a lot of, across the U.S., there's a lot of retirees who serve on, on council roles like this, who have all the time in the world. Um, it is so critical that people who are not over the age of, well, over a certain age are serving. It is so critical that people in that active moment of raising children are serving because we have a different lived experience and perspective. Mm-hmm. But the, the constraints on time are real. So you just have to be creative. It's not a reason not to do it. But it is a reason to think creatively about how you will do it. There's only 24 hours in a day. That hasn't actually changed in my day either. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what are what are you actually expected to be present for? You know, on a typical, do you have a certain number of meetings per month? And how long is your term? Yeah. So um, because our city population size just grew, our city terms actually changed from two years to four years. So it used to be two years. I was elected into a four-year term, so 20 um, 2020 to 2024, I started serving um, January of 2021. So it's that's like a hearty commitment of time. <laughs> um, we do meet as a city council on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. Um, we have had meetings as short as 23 minutes because someone clocked it and made a note that that was the shortest meeting he had ever seen. And at least in my time in office, which has just been about now eight months, as long as I'd say four hours, push, pushing three and a half, four hours. Um, so that's the actual meeting. But in order to be prepared for that meeting, um, I like to read the agenda sure. and the agenda packets come out on the Thursday prior to the meeting and range in size. I think the shortest one I've seen is like maybe 75 or 100 pages. And we had one a couple weeks ago that was 800 pages. Now, let me be clear, like I'm not reading 800 pages of text in a weekend because that would be bonkers. But what it was, was we've just passed a bond and we're authorizing a number of development projects and all of the contracts for those bonds were in the agenda. So, you know, I think that's again, where in any good management role and city council is managing the city, you have to get to know and to trust the folks who are operationalizing the work. And so in the instance of all of these bond, the bond we passed, um, 
and the city works projects we're authorizing, a lot of them are street projects. And so I've spent time with our head of the street department, with our head of engineering, understanding when you pick a firm, what are the priorities that you're placing on how you select a firm? So I'm, I'm trying to get the clues for what are the kinds of things I might want to look for? What are the questions that I might have? My job is not to manage the city. It's to provide oversight for how the city is being managed. So um, I have the, the meeting every two weeks and then um, everyone on city council is expected to serve on a committee. Um, we're appointed to different committees by the mayor. Um, I serve on our arts, our public arts committee, which has been really fun. Um, and the public arts committee actually only meets once a month for an hour. So that's a, a you know, um, there again, pr- there's pre-work before your committee meetings and there's follow-up after, but an actual, you have to be in a specific place. You know, it's less than Assuming the council meetings aren't too long, it's less than five hours a month. Um, and then I have a city email address and maintain citizen correspondence with constituents. Um, I've gotten dozens of emails in a day and I've gone for days without getting emails. That really varies on sort of mm-hmm. what issues the council is taking up or what concerns citizens have. Um, and I And I think that's where like, as with anything, so much about serving in office is about is like choose your own adventure. Um, you, you pick how much time you put in, you pick how thoroughly you read the agendas, you pick how you prioritize making yourself available to constituents. So that, that stuff, um, that stuff is really, um, individualized and and personal. I've chosen to do an open meeting every other Friday before the council meeting. So eight to 9 AM, I do a community conversation on the Friday before the city council meetings, Mm -hmm. Um, the agendas come out and I just talk about, um, well, I take questions, but I also just talk about like, here's what we're voting on next week. Here's some of my thoughts. Anyone have any questions? Sometimes it's just me and like two or three others who really are concerned with what's happening in the city. And again, when there's like kind of a bigger issue, we'll see a lot more folks that dial in for that. So sorry, very long winded, but that's like, that answers your question. Very helpful. No, it's, it's really helpful because it, it demystifies, I think especially mm-hmm. the role of like more local politics. Yes. You know, Lisa and I are in the DC area and I think politics, I think the white house Congress, right. But we know that so much of what impacts us day to day is actually decided on the local level, but I don't think we always see how that happens. So you're just showing us how the sausage is made. Yeah, I think when most of us think city council and I was shocked when I got elected, how many people in my town were like, oh my gosh, you're leaving your job at Walmart. And I was like, what? And they're like, well, city, city council's full time, right? Because what we see on TV, what is true in New York exactly. or San Francisco or Chicago. Right. Yes. City council in those cities, which are massive, is mm-hmm. full time in the vast majority of communities in America city council is like serving on the PTA. You just, you do it after work. It's in the evening time and it's something, it's, it's designed for citizens who are otherwise engaged in other activities and work to do. It's not Mm. designed to be your day job. And I love that. Mm -hmm. That's school board, that's city Mm -hmm. council, that's county government or county court. And then a lot of the oversight bodies, some of which are elected, some of which are appointed that exist Mm -hmm. in a, in a local municipality. That brings us to the end of part one of our conversation with Bentonville, Arkansas City Councilwoman Gayatri Agnew. She dropped a whole lot of inside knowledge on what local governance really involves, and there's even more to come. 
So make sure to join us for part two of our discussion in episode 35, which will also be our season two finale. I can't believe it, (laughs) right? Me either. (laughs) So thanks so much to Councilwoman Agnew for joining us today. If you're inspired to see how you could make a difference in politics, visit our show notes at HippocraticHosts.com. We'd love for you to follow us on social media. We're at Hippocratic Hosts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd love for you to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. That way you never miss an episode. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend about the podcast. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Health at Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. Remember that all views expressed here are our own, not our employers, and all content is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice nor the establishment of a doctor-patient relationship. Always consult your own physician or healthcare team for any medical issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check out our website at www.hippocratichosts.com for show notes on this and all our episodes. Can't wait to chat with you next time.